Turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Lord willing, all our men in the men's study working through James go, yes, pastor, we're with you on that. We will look at the remaining part of this chapter. We've been working through uh, this chapter for the last few weeks. We took one little stint jumping over to 2 Timothy, but we came quickly back to what Paul has been dealing with this church. He's dealing with his critics, right? There's nothing new there. It seems like Paul is within this church always dealing, right, whether directly or indirectly, of those who oppose uh, the ministry that he has established. Paul's desire is always it be about Christ and not about him, and we'll see that in the passage again. So he has great, great confidence. I mean, we came out of chapters 8 and 9 where he's is excited about the equality. We see Gentiles giving to the Jewish church. We see the desire that at some point these Jews will help these Gentile churches. He sees this wonderful equality <clears throat> developing. He's excited about the Corinthians. And then we comes to chapter 10. Uh, he abruptly shifts gears. It's like he went from first gear to fifth, right? He just, or, man, whatever happened, it, it seems abrupt. Many scholars think this, there was a pause or this was a completely different letter. Um, but definitely Paul has a heart to, to make the church very mindful of the dangers that come from without, outside the church for sure, but also the dangers that come from within. Uh, we are, the Bible never tries to prove to us that there are false teachers. It just tells you there's going to be false teachers, right? So you better have your Bible open to make sure I'm not leading you astray. So he comes and he, he quickly goes in the first uh, six verses here we looked at is the, real, the realization that you and I are in a spiritual war, right? There's only two spiritual families. Uh, we are born into the family of Adam, Right, which means we are born into sin in the family of the evil one, and we are adopted as the language of Scripture by His Spirit. There is regeneration. We are adopted, and we are brought into the family of God through the regenerating work of the spirits and belief on repentance in Christ and being saved. But that's it. There's no other options. Right, you're either one or the other. If there has not been a moment of repentance and belief on Christ then we can say uh, with confidence, you are still in the family of Satan, right? I mean, it's what it is. So Paul tells us, yeah, you're in a spiritual battle. You better wake up to what's happening. And for them, the, the struggle is coming within those who claim to be uh, what Paul will call later call these eminent apostles, these false teachers. So he says, wake up, right? And then he moves from there into verse 7, and he tells them, you're looking at things wrong. So he addresses their issues, right? Your authority is rooted solely in the Scriptures. Well, this morning he's going to continue with that, and right, and what I've titled this message is the measure, right? If, if we've come to say, okay, this is the Word of God, and I believe I'm in a spiritual battle, and this is my authority, this is how I go about it, well, how do I focus that and to know what I'm doing is actually pleasing to the Lord? Well, that's a good question. Because that's what I'm going to tackle today, Lord willing, right? How do, we, how do we understand this? As Paul is defending himself to some extent, he never calls out the names. He just simply says, hey, this is the reality. 
and he shows us some insight to how Paul approaches ministry. How does he approach, and what has he done, and where is he not going, where has the Lord limited him, and where has the Lord sent him? This gives us insight to how we are to approach the things, how we can grow in our confidence. I don't know if you've ever had that thought that if, if I'm not doing great things for the Lord, well, then the Lord's not really excited about me. I've got to sell everything and go around the globe and do missions work. Then the Lord will be pleased with me. Well, that's just simply not the case. Now, the Lord may call you to do that. You better go do that. Um, but I also, I firmly believe the Lord has planted you right where he wants you. So we've got to shine where we're planted. So for us, it comes to this point of saying, well, how do, how do I know? How do we measure this? Right? How do, I, how do I know that what I'm doing, because Paul will read the passage here in a moment, is going to, to end this chapter by saying, um, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Well, how do I know the Lord is commending what I'm doing? Well, that's a pretty important question. It's like the little boy who came in and told his mom, I am six foot tall. She said, well, how did you reason this? Well, I got six of my shoes together. I'm six shoes, shoes tall. Of course, mom responds and says, well, those shoes aren't a foot long. To which the wise little boy says, well, they have to be. My foot fits in them. <laughs> so we want to approach this not willy-nilly, not with a wrong standard or wrong focus. We want to utilize the standard God has given us, and Paul gives us some insights. So this is what he says. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll read verses 12 through 18. He says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the religious, the region, excuse me, beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. That he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, as we look at this passage now, we ask that your spirit would be unfolding it for us, bringing, teaching us, bringing instruction to us. And I pray, Lord, most importantly, that this would not simply be seeds that do not germinate in us, but I pray that they would grow. So let not the evil one take this from us. But Lord, empower us with confidence, the meekness of Christ to go forward in the ministry to which you have called us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, Paul has been unfolding for us, right, this reality. You and I are in a spiritual battle. He's talked about those things. He's used uh, some military language. 
quite abruptly, right? He has clearly a picture of a battlefield, and he says this is the metaphor he's running in his mind as he unfolds it for us. So we are to realize and know, right, we are laboring in a spiritual battle. Uh, you're in it, right? That's step one to acknowledge, right? This is what's going on. We also see that this battle is not simply from the outside, right? It's not just our culture that we are to engage in, but we are to be quick and understand God's word because as what's happening in this Corinthian church, the attack is coming from within. There are false teachers leading some of the Corinthians away from Christ. So Paul is coming and saying, look, in the midst of this, in the midst of false teachers, you too, Corinthians, you too, Christian, you have authority. Your authority is rooted in God's word. Not ourselves, by ourselves, with ourselves, right? But God's word. The authority is, is to be focused on the central figure of Scripture. The Bible is a book of redemption. Sin enters the world. The covenants unfold of how God is pointing to the one who will fulfill the ultimate and renew the covenant, which is Christ. This is why there's no more new covenants, because it's the new and only that we need. And it's now we're in the point of living this out and following him and making him known. This is what's going on. The Bible is about Christ. So Paul is focused, right? This authority about Christ, the gospel, is to draw others to come and to believe on Jesus Christ. It's also to mature us in the faith. Right? As a, if you know Christ, if you have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are to be maturing and growing in the faith. That's his expectation. That's Paul's assumption. So now he comes and says, look, here's, here's the ministry. Here's how I have approached it. Here are some insights. And, and again, Paul has a unique calling, doesn't he? We can't just grab that and say, well, this is the same. You know, Paul is an apostle. I mean, he is... He has heard the voice, right, of the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. Why are you persecuting me? He has experienced blindness. So we're not going to grab all those insights and say, well, this pertains to us, even though there are some today who think apostles carry on. That was for the establishment of the church. But we do want to glean some confidence from this, that where the Lord has placed me, I can operate within a certain assurity. I can operate with the right measure of ministry to know that at the end of my life, when I stand before the Lord, right, 2 Corinthians 5.10, when I stand before the judgment seat, that I will have confidence. I, one of the things I just want to note is you really see Paul's heart, don't we? It's, it's all over, of course, in, in his letters, but he realizes Every one of these Corinthians is going to take a, a moment and stand before that judgment seat. So Paul doesn't make this about him. He doesn't call out individuals, right? Remember, there's such a person, or such a person, or anyone. Those who commend. He makes it about Christ. See, this is the job of every pastor. To ready your soul for that moment when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So pastors must, right, take this seriously. It's why I pray open, God's word would be open. Christians are not to be passive in their maturity. We're to be active, growing, maturing. I am sure that at the end of your life, when you stand before that judgment seat, you're not going to be um, thinking about 
stuff that just doesn't pertain to that moment, right? You're going to be thankful that you have a, an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you have confidence that in that day you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, not, I am not approved of what you're doing. So Paul has this heart. And I'm using the word ministry here in my title and through my points. I want you to understand it's just simply one who serves another. That's what ministry means. You're serving. And as a Christian, we extend, right, the grace and mercy of Christ, how we serve one another. So this leads to my first point. What do we glean from this if we're going to grow in this confidence? My first point is simply this. Ministry must be established on the objective truth of Christ. Right? He says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Now, you might be here and say, well, Pastor, that's not the biggest heavy revy. I mean, we understand that. Heavy revy means deep theological content, right? That's short for that. But I would stress to you that this is probably the biggest problem in American Christianity. We simply do not believe, right? We don't operate. We may say it, but we don't believe with conviction that there is objective truth. When man places himself above the Bible and simply says, let's pick and choose and let's uh, create a story and just slap some scripture on it, you're left with what that person thinks it should be and not what is actually being said in the Bible. That's the difference. This has played itself out throughout history. There was a time in Orthodox Christianity where we, were, we believed the infallible, sufficient right, uh, uh, authority of scripture and we were under it. That's historical. And through the, the time of Karl Barth and those, it became somewhat of, of both were infallible, right? At one point, man was, was, was fallible and the scriptures were infallible, and then it became both were kind of infallible or fallible. Depending on your experience, if scripture came alive at the moment and you understood it, then that's what happened. Well, now we've, we've gone from that place where now scripture can be completely fallible, where man is infallible. That's what's happening. And when you understand that, you come back to this simple truth and go, well, that's not a heavy rave, but in reality it is. We expect it, right, from the culture. The culture says, if there is truth, it's relative. You make it what you want it to be. We have, it's popular today for pastors to unhitch, right, the Old Testament, misunderstand the covenants, don't understand the gospel, can't explain to you the gospel. That's what's going on. So in our confidence to get to this moment where we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to have a ministry that is commended by the Lord, it must be attached to the objective truth of Jesus Christ. Now, I say objective, I mean that as a truth that transcends. It's outside of us. Of course, that truth becomes subjective in us once we believe it. But God's truth stands. It's like politely saying, Right? We don't care what you think about it. It's true, right? So ministry first begins with objective truth. So the gospel, Christ, must become the plumb line. Right? Anything looks straight until you put a plumb line. I don't know if you've ever put a fence up or a wall, right? You're like, that looks really good. I've experienced this. You put a plumb line, I'm like, man, I've got a crooked eye, right? Well, that's what's going on here. Paul is simply saying, we are, he says, for, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. Paul, maybe your translation says we wouldn't dare do this. 
He's saying, like, they, we wouldn't dare compare. And there's definitely read some, some sarcasm here, right? He's ridiculing them a little bit. No doubt. I mean, he places these false apostles, right? These false eminent apostles. He'll later say that in chapter 11. On a statue or a stature where he himself won't even compare himself. In essence, he's saying the Lord should be thrilled to have these guys in the church. I mean, we wouldn't dare compare ourselves to this. We're not worthy of them. But look at the contrast. These false teachers have come to Corinth with what? Letters of commendations. We have a letter written by our buddies, right? Our friends. That's what they're running with. That was the charge back in chapter 3. Where he tells them, you're my letter. You're the proof. You've been redeemed. Some of you were this. Now you're this. This is it. And his calling, right, is from Christ. It says in Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul's authority is attached to the objective work, the calling of Christ. So in essence, he is telling these Corinthians, right, directly saying, look, you got to wake up. He's been saying that. He's indirectly charging and going after these false teachers. But he, in essence, is saying they have no divine authority. We're not preaching from the word. We're not proclaiming Christ. The authority is gone. That was the point he's already made. Authority comes from God's truth. They are not doing these things. In essence, these false teachers have worked their way into the church. They are distorting right? The gospel, they are distorting spiritual development. They are misleading new followers, right? What you win them with, you win them to. You've got confused people. They are creating a false church. That's what's happening. That's the reality of it. So here's the doctrine, church. Here's the teaching. Your serving, right, as a Christian must be attached, right, to the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not attaching it to the reality that Christ lives, that he has overcome this world, that he has been risen from the grave, that he actually walked on this planet, right? Then you're actually leading them with with something that is not divine truth. That's the reality. That's the danger. This is what Paul understands. You see it. Your ministry is to be an extension of Christ. If it's just you, all you're giving them is you. This is what Paul says. What are these guys doing? Well, they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are without understanding. Right? You you can you can you can make a lot of justification. At least I'm not like that guy, right? I'm doing pretty good. That's my that's my standard. At some point, I'll be like that guy. I mean, that's what's going on. What do they see? Well, they compare themselves with themselves. What does Paul say? They fail to understand. Their standard is simply subjective. It hasn't been rooted in the objective truth. Their truth is relative. If we get together and confer together and we compare ourselves with ourselves, we can make that truth whatever we want it to be, and we can sign off and say we're all good. Paul puts all this. He says it four times. themselves four times, right? And it's a present tense verb. So Paul is emphasizing the fact that they are continually doing this. 
This is what they do. They're stuck in this circle. And we can make anything sound good if we come together. So I ask you, is this not the problem that we see what's happening in America? What we see happening in American church? Do we not see this compromise? If we compare ourselves with what other, some other church is doing or what some other pastor is doing, well then, man, we, we're, we're doing pretty good. Or, or maybe we'll do something greater next week. We'll do something, whatever it is. But at the end of this passage, what does Paul say? The only ministry that the Lord commends is one that he has built upon the reality that Christ is God, that he is the only Redeemer. He's the only name under heaven which we might be saved. And what's popular today is let's unhinge, right, the Old Testament. Let's get rid of these things. Let's say what we want. Let's deconstruct their faith and build it on what? Nothing that has any divine authority. See, in your serving, in your ministry, when you minister to one another, it has to be connected to the reality that Christ is. I do this because Christ is my standard, because the Bible is my standard. I, I serve this way, I live this way, I, I speak this way. This is why my life looks like this. Christ is my standard. Yesterday morning, I asked our men, the, the question at the end where I said, what does the fear of God look like? Our, our scripture reading, if you notice, the psalmist said, those who revere, and the word is fear, those who fear the Lord, how are we to be those who are the servants? How do we fear him? The number one way we fear the Lord is actually being obedient. We actually say, Lord, I reverence you and love you so much that I believe your truth and I'm going to implement it in my life. And see, you and I are going to struggle with that if we think Christ is not who he says he is. This is what's going on with these false teachers. So for us, we want to be sure that we connect it. I believe in Christ. I believe his word. I believe what it says about Christ, what it says about God. So that's the foundation. It has to be. So from there, we, we say, okay, it's, it's established on this. It's built upon the rock. I mean, Paul has been making that argument over and over again. I mean, I've, ref, I've referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 2 many times. I've come to you not with this great speech and, and great skills, right? I came to you with Christ and him crucified. Why? So your faith is built on who? Power of God and not on man. This has been his heartbeat. So with these, right, again, he's establishing it. We're not comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. We're comparing ourselves to the objective work of Christ. Our ministry must be rooted there. He goes on. This is my second point in verse 13. Ministry is to be focused to the area God has placed you. Yes, God has placed you, right? God has not forgotten about you. He created you and he has placed you. This is what Paul says, but we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as you. So sphere, right? What is Paul saying? There is an area of activity. Paul is saying, this is my area of activity. Now, God does not expect you to do things that, that you know, something you're not, but he has given you spiritual gifts and what? Every single one of us can serve. Uh, the call of pastors and teachers is to train up the saints for the work of the ministry. We're all in this. I, too, am a Christian, right? I'm part of this. So we, we want to understand that, that we're not going to go beyond this. This is why God focuses this, or Paul is, in essence, focusing it on what he has been called to. This is my sphere. This is where the Lord has called me. I'm not boasting about other things. No, I'm, I'm confident with where the Lord has called me. 
Now, we don't want to make this an excuse either, right? So we can simply say, well, he didn't call me to be an evangelist, so I don't have to do that. Well, God has called you to be a light, right, on a hill. So we're always called the witness to Christ. So in short, right, here's the point. And Paul's using sphere. I may use sphere. I may also use a lane. I like the, the picture of running in a lane, right? The Lord has placed you in a lane. Get in your lane, right? That's what's focusing our ministry. Where has he called me to? Where has he placed me? How do we interact with family, coworkers, right? With life in the church, ministries, all those things. That's your lane. This is where he's called you to. But again, look at the comparison. False teachers boast beyond measure, right? If we're comparing ourselves with ourselves, we can come up with some good stats, right? I mean, I, I could. Your stats are incredible. Well, that's right. I, I made them myself. Paul is saying they boast beyond measure. But what does he boast? I boast in where the Lord has called me. See, I think that takes a lot of pressure off us, doesn't it? God is not calling me. He might be calling you to the mission field, but if he is not doing that, I can have confidence at the end of my life when I stand before the Lord that I served him with where he placed me. Absolutely. This is what Paul is saying. We, don't, we are not. We're not boasting beyond our measure, right? We're not doing that. But this is where God has apportioned for us. It tells these Corinthians, this fear included you. To reach, he says, to reach even as far as you. This is our sphere. So a simple teaching, right? A doctrine we would grab here is that you and I, as Christians, are responsible, right? We're responsible for the ministry that the Lord has called us to because he has called us to. Your life, where you go, your influence is part of your ministry, how you serve, how you utilize your gifts. That is where the Lord has placed you. I love this quote from Tim Chalice. He says this, Did you not know that you are a minister? That word minister isn't a job title. It's an action. A minister is simply someone who tends to another person. You minister healing to an injured person by bandaging their wounds. His title is doctor, but his job is to minister healing. You minister comfort to a hurt child by picking her up and cuddling her. Her title is mom, but her job is ministering comfort. And you minister truth to others by bringing God's word to bear on their life and circumstances. Your title is Christian, and your job is to minister truth. See, the Lord has placed you in a lane. He has a sphere of influence for you, right? He's placed you there on purpose. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. He's placed you in a lane, right? Understanding he's focused your ministry. We need to run in this lane. Now, for us to go, okay, sweet, I understand that. It's focused. My ministry is here. I have a sphere in which God has called me to. I can be confident at the end of my life, if I labor in these areas, the Lord will be pleased with me. Amen. But in that lane and in that sphere that the Lord has called you, you should be boundless. This is my next point. Ministry is to be boundless within the area God has placed you. 
right? He says, for we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you, the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying the same thing. In essence, right, we've come to you. We are not boasting beyond our boundaries. We're not overextending ourselves. But this including, this sphere included you. So we didn't give up or give out or, or call it a day. No, we went all, right? We were boundless in making sure where the Lord called us, we ministered. We didn't hold back any of the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's what he's saying. We came, we brought it all. Now listen, they know, right? These Corinthians, they know. Right? They know that Paul, his associates, they planted the church. They know that. They know, as Paul has written in the first letter, the, that there's been those who plant and Apollos waters, but God gives it growth. Right? He's addressed those things. They know God brings the increase, which shows you how the false teachers are, are just can get their ear. Right? They also know Paul is concerned and that he's coming. This whole point of these letters, right? And that's what they accused him. You know, he's bold when he's absent and all those things. Well, he's coming. See, you and I might be tempted to say, well, you know what? I, this is where I know the Lord has placed me, but there's so many frustrations. I'm just going to, you know, do my, my bare minimum and kind of skate on in into eternity, right? So we have to pause for a moment and go, what do we know? And Paul is saying, look, I, I've come all this way to you. I didn't stop or withhold anything from you, even though I have dealt with all these issues. See, we know that we are to be Christians to a lost world. We know we are to share the gospel. We know that we have the assistance and help of our brothers and sisters in the church, that if we are ministering to one and, and explaining the truths to one, that others might water and help nourish that, what we've been planting, right? That seed we've been planting. And we know, just as the Corinthians know, as Paul has told them, that God brings about the growth. We rest in that. We also know that the Lord has placed good works in front of us. Ephesians 2, right? We know this. We know that, that, that he has placed things, and so he is calling us that in our, in our lane not to yield, not to give in, not to give up, that we not simply stand, and maybe there's moments that's all we can do, but there should be a time where we start to move forward with boundless joy and confidence in Christ. I mean, in your lane, in your sphere, be boundless like Paul is boundless. I mean, let your love for God and your love for neighbor grow. Okay? Let our conviction that Christ is Lord, let it grow in you. Let your commitment to follow after him grow. We don't have to stop. We don't have to stand still. I know sometimes it might be like that, but we're going to continue to move forward. There'll be times when we get shut down. There's going to be times when we get called dirty names. Remember, you're in good fellowship. You're in good company when that happens. But let your desire to, to proclaim Christ, let that be boundless. Let your pursuit of spiritual understanding, let it be unquenched, continue to grow. Let your voice not be silent, but let it compel others. Say, hey, I'm in my lane. I'm going to compel. I'm going to not yield. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep my best to be patient to show Christ's love to you. See, in our lane, right, we can be boundless. Paul tells them, and I didn't withhold. I didn't overextend, but I came to you. See, we want to be those that when we're, 
we're in our lane, we're serving the Lord, and the question might come from the world that says, well, who then can be saved? And I pray you're so full of Jesus Christ, so confident that he is the objective truth, that he is exactly what a lost soul needs, that you will respond and say with people, friend, this is impossible. You're never going to get there, but there is one name given under heaven to us that we can know that if you repent and believe this is possible, salvation is possible. Those are the kind of people we want to be. Not some things, but all things. So even though the Lord has focused our ministry, that the sphere of our influence and where we go be boundless in it. But Paul doesn't leave us there, right? He says, okay, this is what's going on. I didn't overextend myself, right? But I came all the way to you. You're a part of that. But then he challenges the Corinthians. So my next point, ministry is to be dedicated, active growth. The Lord wants to expand your sphere. I'm in it, I'm focused, I'm boundless in it, and there will be times where the Lord's going to stretch you, grow your lane, grow it longer, however, whatever metaphor you want to run with there. God is going to grow. He says, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, right, as you guys develop, we will be, within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. Right? Another jab at these boasters, these eminent apostles. The Lord may grow. The Lord wants you to spiritually develop. It's not enough to stay on the milk. And if that's where we're at, the milk of, the, of God's word, then that's where we're at. But that needs to develop into meat. Right? Dig deeper. And I'm going to tell you this, and I mentioned this, I think, the other day at our men's study. You know, it's okay if we come across Scripture that bothers us. I think that's a good thing. Continue to pray, seek, knock, right? The Lord will give His Spirit. We'll begin to unfold that passage for you. So we don't want to give up. We don't want to give in. We're called to the Great Commission. We know that, right? And so there'll be times where our lane may grow or we might be used to expand the lane of another. So simply Paul comes to them and says, look, you have to be dedicated to growing in your faith. I could ask you a bunch of questions here and say, how do we grow in our faith? I hope I'm part of that list that you would put together would say we have to have the Bible open. Yes, you have to have the Bible open. And let's go a, little, a step further. You have to be reading it, right? Let's, let's do that too. So Paul is saying, look, you, you, as you develop church, you, you can't stay the same. You can't stay stagnant in your faith. You need to be developing and growing. And in a sense, he is telling them, right, there, there's a time where you've come to believe, and we see this throughout his letters, definitely to the Corinthians. But he's asking them to increase your faith. I grow in the Lord, understand these things. You need to advance beyond the initial development. We should not look back on our lives a year from now and say, I'm, I'm in the same place spiritually. Let's fix that. And so he's saying, enlarge your sphere of influence. And part of that enlarging it is simply saying, look, you should be a mission-sending church. And Paul's his hand's the first one going up, right? Send me. So we have to develop in our own faith that we need to be dedicated to growing up in Christ. We also must also be dedicated to expanding the faith, kingdom growth. 
Right? He calls us. We can't be those who are sitting on our hands. Right? Passive. Remember, the Bible never writes the Christian as a passive person. He's either advancing or he's retreating. The heart is either growing closer to Christ or away. And so Paul is saying, your faith, Christians, your faith should be that you're ascending missionaries, that you're establishing ministries, that you're seeing that the gospel is preached on the other side of town, that you're dedicated to gospel growth, that you want to see others come to know this wonderful faith that you have. Their faith, right, needs to be increased. And this is Paul's vision. This is his heartbeat. So we need to be a physical, prayerful, financial focused church, right, going forward. We need to be those who extend resources to our missionaries that are globally. We need others who would might rise up and say, hey, I'm going to be a missionary across the street or downtown or across the globe. We need to have others who simply say, man, I, I, I want to grow in my faith. It, it calls us all to this. And Paul's point is simply grow up and expand the kingdom. You have a part in it. It's easy for us or imagine to simply say, well, my lane is a small lane and my sphere is a small sphere and what can I do? Who am I? Well, I mean, that's, that reasoning is quickly rejected when we think, what did Christ do with 12 ordinary fishermen and tax collectors, right? I know I have said this quote a few times. I'm just going to bring John Knox right back into this. Um, right? God plus one is the majority. So where you go, right, your ministry, your, your focus, your lane, right, God might use you to expand the sphere of another. God might be using others to help your sphere expand as well. Be dedicated to kingdom growth. That is the Great Commission. That's what we're called to. And this leads to my last point. Ministry is to be governed by the honor and glory of Christ. I mean, isn't this the the exclamation point of all of this, isn't it? That he who boasts is to boast no Lord. What a rejection of those right there. You can imagine when, when they read that out loud, those guys were kind of like looking at their toes and their sandals, right? But he says in verse 8, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, that he whom the Lord commends. End of the day, what matters most? How can we know if our ministry, our service, right, as we, as we are the hands and feet of Christ, how do we know that it's blessed by God? Does it bring honor to Jesus? Is it rooted in the objective truth of Jesus, the reality of the gospel? Because what is left if we don't do that? If our standard is not the Bible, do we have anything to give? If our authority is not rooted in God's truth, can we really offer anything to the lost? If our conviction and our hope is not grounded in Christ, I mean, do we really offer anything with our lives? And I think right here you see the, the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. This is what gets him up every morning. This is the standard he sets himself to. 
Here in the next chapter, we will look at some of the things that he has experienced, he has walked through, the charges and what he has done. But his love for Christ, to hear those words, well done, propels him. See, Paul's boasting is in the Lord. He knows what Jesus has done. And do you know what the Lord has done in you? He waits for that moment for Christ to commend him. It's got future, right? Christ ahead of me. He roots this for him in the Old Testament scriptures. He knows what Christ has said. Quoting from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9.24 simply says, But let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For a delight in these things, declares the Lord. Paul has referenced that here and back in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.31. He's grabbed that a few times. We see it as his heartbeat, right? It is who he is. Paul will tell the young pastor, Timothy, he will say, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed at that moment when you're standing before him. Don't be the one staring at your toes. Be that one who says, I left it all out there. I gave it all. Be that person, right? There's your t-shirt. Be that guy, right? So everything that Paul was rooted in was this, right? It was all for the glory of Christ. Paul understood his ministry, what the Lord had called him to. He was in his lane. He was boundless within his lane. He did not withhold anything. There's truth of God's word. He also desired to see that, that sphere, right, that lane grow. The false teachers, as we look at the compromise again, right, Paul is, is rooted upon uh, the glory of Christ, that Christ would commend us. The false teachers, what do they honestly have? Their standard is subjective, right? The praise is not from God, it's from others. They ultimately have nothing. They're not governed, right, by God's truth. You know, I picked the scripture passage, and I've done this the last two Sundays. Psalms 135 we read, and last Sunday we read Psalm 115. And in both of them, they set the contrast between those servants of God and those uh, idols of the nations. And this morning we, we saw, we read that God will judge his servants with compassion. But the psalmist sets the contrast, and I believe this is what you see as Paul contrasts Christians with non-Christians. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but do not speak, they have eyes but do not see, they have ears but they do not hear, nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. But here's the real point. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. Paul has set before the Corinthians this contrast. There are those, right, who have an idol of their own heart. We judge ourselves by ourselves. Paul does not want the Corinthians to become like that. They have eyes, they are not understanding. They have ears, they're not hearing God's word. They have breath, but they're not breathing the breath of God's truths. 
they are becoming a false, right, a false idol. So Paul's concern is that the gospel would shine bright. See, our ministry is to be established on the foundation of Christ and him alone. It's focused. The Lord has placed you. You're not an accident. You're not a throwaway. You're not a mistake. You're going to make mistakes. This is why we repent and confess. We're to be boundless within that lane. Bring all of God's truth right to bear on every situation in which you minister, which you serve. Be open, right, so the Lord stretches you and grows you, how he might use you to grow others or others to grow you. Be dedicated. The kingdom would grow. And let your foundation, let this, this heartbeat, like it is in Paul, be your heartbeat. Let it be for the glory of God. Lord, I commit it to you. We are not those who gauge our ministry, right, by the little boy stacking his shoes up. We are those who gauge our ministry by the word of God. It must be open. It must be read. This is our standard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given to us and that challenge, Lord, that we received this morning by your word. Lord, it's easy for us to just make excuses and to feel that we're unworthy, we're unfit. Lord, whatever it might be, sometimes we think, Lord, we're just insignificant. We fail to grasp the reality that you've, you've made us, you've called us, you've placed us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we realize there will be a moment, Lord, in our, in, our, uh, in our history, I'll say it like that, Lord, there will be a moment we stand before you. And I pray, Lord, that, that our, our hearts would burn with, with confidence that all that we have done has been for the, the praise and glory of Christ and him alone. That we would be those who just simply wear out the gospel, or the best we can, sharing it and proclaiming it. That we realize that all the little things where we serve, when we hug, when we, when we give a meal, or when we just pray with someone, or we wait with all those little things, or it's ministry. But let us be those who have that action, who take those action steps, apply all that we know of Scripture. That we have a, a reason for the hope that lies within us always. So, Lord, lead us that way. Let us realize what we have in Christ, even though we might be walking through difficulties. Lord, let us realize what we have, that there is salvation. There is a hope that is amazing. So, Lord, let us, let us have our souls anchored to that. Despite the storms, let our souls be anchored to Christ. Let us live our lives, Lord, for your glory, realizing you have placed us. We're not here by accident. Let all that we do be governed for your glory. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as always, I'd like to just offer, if you, need, if you have questions regarding the sermon and how I arrived at where I arrived or anything like that, or questions what it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd love to help you any way that I can. I'll be up here after the service. If you need prayer, I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you. Um, the connection card that, that Jack told you about, um, Man, you can fill that out as well, and we'll connect with you whichever way you'd like. Uh, we're going to close this morning by singing, Behold the Throne of God Above. And this is just to encourage you and to flood your soul with the realization that your name, right, your name is written on his hands, his heart. It's graven on him. He has redeemed us. And just to propel us, edify us, encourage us that um, 
Christ has done for us what we can never do. So while we are here, let us live for him. So with that in our minds, I encourage you to stand with us as we sing uh, before the throne of God above. <laughs>